Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Rolf Hutt is a hydrological scientist from Delft University of Technology. Or he's perhaps better described as a MacGyver scientist, attacking problems from different and interesting angles. One such problem was the infamous 1962 escape from Alcatraz, in which inmates Clarence Anglin, John Anglin and Frank Morris escaped from Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary by tucking paper mache versions of their heads into their beds, escaping their cells through ventilation ducts, climbing through an unused utility corridor across roofs and fences before leaving the island on an improvised inflatable raft made of rain jackets. Rolf helped build perhaps the most sophisticated model of the currents in the Bay Area on the night of the escape to look at the question of whether the inmates could possibly have survived the journey, and then tested the research in his own Mythbusters-esque escape from Alcatraz. This is super cool, and this combination of modeling, science communication, and ocean swimming is really in my wheelhouse. So I loved this chat with Rolf, and I started by asking him what made him think to model the famous escape from Alcatraz. So the the way I always tell the story is that what I bring to this is um, my expert skill in sitting on the couch and eating potato crisps. (laughs) Because... Yeah, I'm not an ocean swimmer in that sense. Um, so when I was a student, I used to watch a lot of Midbusters. Yeah. And um, somewhere in the first season, they escape from they they recreate the escape from Alcatraz to see if it could be done under perfect circumstances. And that always stuck in my mind. And, and I you you talked about the MacGyvering a little bit. Um, the, the one thing that the Midbusters taught me as a student was that it's okay to, if you have a uh, if you have an idea about how something should work or you have an uncertainty or whatever you just have an idea that you can look it up in literature someone probably did an experiment but you can also just build something in your garage and do it yourself have a go which is way more fun yeah um and maybe a little bit more rough and requires more duct tape but it is more fun <laughs> And so, yeah, so I, I'm very grateful for Midbusters uh, as, as an influence on my on my career. Um, but fast forward about 15 years and I, I walk into the office of my uh, fellow academic college mate, wait, it's, uh, Olivier Roos, doc, doctor, engineer, Olivier Roos, uh, who's an expert in the way water moves in lowland areas. Uh, Boulder areas, Delta areas, and um, I just walk into his office. I, mean, I literally walk into his office to ask if he has some duct tape lying around, um, <laughs> and he just he just says, "Yeah, it's somewhere there, but whatever." But look at my screen, and um, what he has on his screen is the the Bay Area with all kind of vectors going back and forth uh, in the water. Okay, what am I looking at? And he explains that he that he modeled. The, the way that the water moves in the Bay Area using a state-of-the-art, not too, not too uh, fancy, but state-of-the-art model that takes into account tidal information, bathymetry, 
and then and even uh, water coming from coming from the Sacramento River, and then calculates the way the water moves, water heights, and velocities, uh, all in the Bay Area. And he used that to simulate what would happen with a uh, 0, 20, 50, 100 centimeter sea level rise. Would, would that mean that every, every tidal cycle Embarcadero would flood or et cetera? So, uh, or would it just mean on, on spring tides? It's very relevant from a, from a climate change point of view and a scientific point of view. All I could see was like the little island um, and I, I like got that memory of Mythbusters. It was like, whoa, 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 if you could do this for the future, can you do this for historic events as well? Like, yeah, if you just give me historic data, data, I'll yeah. run it. Yeah, I'll just force it with that. And so we did that. And then basically we had the way that the water moves and, and the water levels. And, um, and then we contacted a, uh, an academic friend, Fedor Bart. Um, who is in Deltares. Deltares is a, a knowledge institute. So they do academic research, but they're not necessarily training students, but they're very close to academia. Their assignment um, in, the, in the landscape is to make sure that academic knowledge gets to society. So, and, um, and so one of the things that uh, Fedor does, um, among many, many things that he does, he's a, he's a brilliant uh, in-betweener between water science, computer science, psychology. I mean, he has a lot of skills. So I, I admire that guy. So but he, um, uh, he does models that track, given how water moves, that track where particles might end up. Or back calculate if we found something here, Yep. Where could it have come from? And and I mean these kind of Lagrangian models and and uh, these are very relevant for oil spills, but we're using them for currently um, uh, a lot of interest goes to where does the plastic and other contaminations that we put out from rivers where does that end up in our ocean systems? He can use those models and he's good with visualizations. So we gave him the water model and then he did. The calculation where where you say okay what if every half hour we release 50 floats from Alcatraz where would they end up and we could even we could even add a little bit of a vector to these floats simulating oh they're but they're trying to swim in this direction I was actually going to ask you that question so cool so you can put that into the model as well yeah you can basically give a force vector these floats where you basically say the water will take you here but you will try to go there and then the net of that is where you end up which was funny because then you could what we could study is what we also did is what's the difference between aiming for the place you want to go with these very hard tidal cycles because the, the water just gushes out in the bay area so aiming for the northern head of the golden gate bridge versus aiming for Angel Island, which is kind of behind you. But if you keep swimming towards it, you could end up where you want to be. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I don't know if these three inmates back in the day had that vector knowledge in yep. their head. Um, but it was it was funny as an exercise for us to see like what would be the optimal strategy given that you know what these tidal forces are. Well given what they did to get out of their cells, you wouldn't put it past them to have 
thought of some of these other things as well. Yeah, but I true. It's just the one. The other two were mainly muscle. Right. Uh, right yep. And as far as I mean, this is all. If if you look at the the data uncertainty in the whole chain of this Alcatraz story, the title records are pretty accurate. Right. Yep. And I I, yep. I I trust the modeling of the water and the floats. Um, the anecdotal evidence from inmates about how smart the other inmates are has a okay. bigger uncertainty on it. Yes, so the mythology of that. I would take that, that with a great... Yeah, so maybe, maybe some people would be offended if I call their uh, former relatives, former inmates, uh, <laughs> just muscle. I don't know. Um, but yeah, if, if, if they had... They wouldn't have access to these models. They didn't exist back then. Not as sophisticated as this. There was, and I uh, we had this documentary, this is, which is part of the story that comes later. We had, um, there is a scale model of the Bay Area in um, Marin, so just north of San Francisco on the northern side of the of the Golden Gate Bridge. So yeah, where Sausalito also is. And I think it's a one to hundred vertical and one to a thousand horizontal scale model. So it's it's multiple football fields where they actually model the entire Bay Area. Oh, that's awesome! And then had huge pumps, and then they could like, and it was because they had an idea to totally dam off the northern part of the bay to create a freshwater reservoir and a marine base, and it was an insane fifties engineering idea. But just for that, they built that uh, that scale model. So the knowledge about how these water flows around the islands moved in a given tidal cycle were available, just not as a computer model. Yep, yep. Yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't think they would, would have known that. But you could clearly see that if, if you knew we should be swimming in this direction, yep. then you could end up, etc. Which is also, I mean, the, the way. So we did this as kind of a, not as a joke, but as a, as an interesting side project to our normal uh, scientific projects. Um, and then we, you know, as scientists, we share our knowledge on like conferences, in papers and whatever, but conferences is one of the main venues for us to share our, our knowledge with each other. Um, and we were gonna go to a conference in San Francisco anyway, it's an annual conference for most of earth sciences, the American Geophysical Union's whole meeting. And what you then normally do is you just submit what we call submit an abstract. So you basically say, this is the kind of work I've been doing lately, which I want to share. Uh, I've done connect this supercomputer to this model, and it shows this on climate change, and I should share it with you. And then they'll say, oh, that's nice. Um, you'll get poster slot number so many, or you'll get an oral talk in, at this hour. Um, and you can have multiples of these abstracts, not too many. And we were like, well, okay, okay. So we'll put our, our normal research, we'll put that in, but we'll put the Alcatraz stuff in somewhere as well. And then we did that, and then to their credit, on the Friday before we flew out, I got a call from the BBC, and they're like, we went through the abstracts. I was like, whoa, that's like <laughs> 25,000 of them. Wow. You must have a good algorithm. <laughs> we, we spotted your work, and we think it has media interest because Escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. So we want to run a story on it. Are you okay with that? So I was like, hell yeah. Um, that's fun. 
Um, so that so they did a, a short interview and they got on that they posted it on their website on the I think the Sunday or Saturday that we arrived and Monday, the uh, the conference was about to start. And if I've learned anything from this process is that the main source for news for journalists is other journalists. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But the moment that the BBC said scientists have done the Alcatraz escape and they could have made it or they couldn't have made it, uh, that moment instantly everyone else yeah, wanted to cover it, it as well. Yeah. So so our and um, again, to his credit, uh, Fedor kind of saw this coming. So we prepare some like press materials to make sure that we could cover the story from the angle that we wanted. Mm -hmm. the, the angle that we wanted is like, okay, this is a fun side project where we're using these models that are also very usable in designing deltas, um, calculating impact of climate change on coastal regions. Uh, so we could so we could have that focus on there, which which succeeded, which I think also from a scientific communication point of view proved important, which is something where we don't talk about a lot, is that people that read the news and ingest science news don't care about your institution. Mm. I mean, the the difference between two universities that are ten kilometers apart, they don't care. Yep. They, they just care about the cool news or the thing that you do. And only the people in your field know, oh, yeah, yeah, from that institute, and it's a pretty prestigious, and blah, et cetera. So we made sure that in all our communications, because we were doing this with two, at least two institutes, um, we had a conscious decision to focus and communicate Dutch water scientists. So that, that the media angle for this and that what would resonate was like people in the Netherlands know how to do water science. Yeah, sure. And that was good enough for us in a, in a general communication sense. And the experts that needed to reach us based on this story and based on this would know where to search anyway. Yep. And I think, I think if you see a lot of press releases from, um, uh, from universities and knowledge institutes, um, the ones writing the press release get career progression for how many times the institute is named. Right. Yes. Which is not that important. It's the. It's it's of course it's way harder to measure. Did you get more follow up research? Did you get more renown? Whatever. Uh, based on these actions, is is way harder to measure than just counting the amount of times your names get used. But just pushing that names actually makes the news less readable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we had we had a whole week of that of like interviews, and I think as a scientist in that week, we've reached more people than any of my articles will ever do. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong; the articles that we do are intended to reach a very specific audience and and to either follow up with follow up research, or they're, they're intended to reach policymakers to make decisions on. But just on the sheer numbers, yeah. uh, I think Fader at some point made an overview of the major news outlets. And multiplied that by the average amount of viewers for the news outlet. He got something like half a billion people <laughs> heard about heard about 
Dutch people from from Dutch Dutch water scientists redid the Alcatraz escape. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was wild. Well, so then we got uh, back in the Netherlands after that wild. It was a wild week. Actually, I actually got the, the, the weird story because I got to meet Adam Savage in that week as well, because Twitter was going wild. Yeah. And then uh, at some point he jumped in and he said, "Like, oh, in your uh, in your analysis, you're saying that they die after four hours of hypothermia, but we've actually did it, and you're sweating your ass off, so you you you'll survive way longer." I was like, this is one of my childhood heroes. Um, I was like, you're in San Francisco, right? Yes. Lunch. <laughs> well, so, so, and and we, we on purpose didn't tell the PR people from our universities because they would have jumped on that mm. as a opportunity. So we just had like in a low key taqueria. That's amazing. We just like the three, the three scientists of us and him, we just share and we immediately dove into how this little boat was made out of raincoats and how the water was. And yeah, that was amazing. Well, they say never meet your um, heroes, but it sounds like this actually do meet your heroes you, in this case. In this in this case, um, I, I had a positive experience. Great. Well, that was really good. Um, and so we got back home and a few weeks later, I got a phone call from a guy from the States that says, I'm, I'm doing a documentary series on the escape from out. I'm like, it's part of a series, Mysteries of the Death, people that have died or in mysterious circumstances, etc. cetera. Uh, it's for um, NPR, so it's, it's not Fox News. <laughs> and um, uh, so, so it's a serious documentary but it's for a general public. We want to do the Alcatraz escape because we don't know what happened to these people. Uh, heard about your research. You want to be part of this. Sounds fun. Let's do this. Amazing. Yes. And I and we've had that. I've had that experience working on a documentary on some other subjects in the Netherlands before. And what usually happens is what they do is they'll just interview you a few times uh, to get the story straight. And then they hire better looking people to tell <laughs> about it on camera uh, <laughs> it's television um so in the in the second meeting like this was all, all my meetings in the second meeting he Stephen, he was like could you look at the tidal cycles for this year when the tide is exactly the same as it was in 66 62 when that happened yeah, sure. So, yeah, because then we can like plan the shooting week and get your ticket so we can get you here. And then we, wait, 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 what? So they flew us in and they had us make historically accurate uh, boats so from historically accurate raincoats. Um, and then got us to Alcatraz. And we did a lot of uh, documentary shots on Alcatraz at night when, when the public was gone. So it was completely empty and, and spooky. Scary as well. Um, yes. Uh, and then at exactly the right time, they had us go like in our homemade little raft 
jump off from Alcatraz and pedal. <laughs> and so and it's weird. So the, the way the thing works, they made a raft out of raincoats, because <laughs> this is something for the bureaucrats. Um they counted everything, they didn't count the raincoats. They just assumed assumed use the losses. So what these guys would do, they would get two raincoats when they walked out during their their air hour, their free hour, they just get two raincoats on. Then when the guards weren't looking, they would put one off and put them in their pants or something. And then they walk back in and they hand one back in. Yep. And so they get a stack of raincoats. And there was another story where, where they were part of the crew that was allowed out on top of the cell block, which the cell block sits within the bigger structure to do some maintenance and painting work. And so they built themselves a little workplace there out of sight of the guards. And they used glue that they stole from, stole from the shoemaking activity that they had. And then raincoats that they stole to, to make themselves a raft. We, we had to use the same materials. But it means, so, so basically we made three tubes as a structure and then a bottom, but it's all floppy. Mm -hmm. So when we went in, Fedor, who's the largest of us, was basically going in first and then pushing his arms out. So he would be like the structural <laughs> element of his boat. Um, Olivier, who's the physical, most physically fit one of us, would be sitting in the, in the front of the triangle, pedaling. We had a wooden pedal, pedaling. Um, and I would be sitting in the middle, and we had some garden hose, because these tubes, they're... They're not meant as watertight. So, I mean, you do the best you can get. They're not perfectly airtight. So I had garden hoses to constantly reinflate these tubes. I've been like pumping for 90 minutes in these garden hoses while Olympia is pedaling. You have muscles here? I mean, again, I'm not an ocean swimmer. I didn't know existed <laughs> until I did that. <laughs> We had the luck, which they had as well back in the day, that it was gorgeous weather. So, I mean, if you would have a stormy situation, we just calculated uh, water movement, ignoring most of the wind. Mm -hmm. But if, if you would have storm level winds, then the drag force on the boat would be such that it would have a significant influence yep. on uh, on where you would end up. There was, there was not a thing on the night that they went and luckily for us it was also not a thing on the night that we went um and, and but and we just pedaled and it was absolutely gorgeous at some point only if you uh, stop pedaling and you guys said guys wait wait look around Let's have a look yeah it was like the bay area from the water i mean as an ocean swimmer you might you may like know this like it, it's absolutely stunning and this was at night. So you could see the, the, the island in the light and the golden gate in the light. And then he said, we're getting paid for this. <laughs> did you try to aim at a particular point or did you just go with the, the currents? No, 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 no. No, if you go with, so that was our research show. If you go with the current, you get sucked out. Right. And what you want to have, and that's what we aimed for, what you want to have is that you have the title, the inversion point, yep. like title slack point. 
you want to hit that under the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm -hmm. Because that's the closest part, and then you can get to the shore there. But you want to be as, as much to the north in that stream as possible. So you want to go perpendicular to the main current and, and aim maybe even a little bit back. And that would get you uh, that would get you to the north pillars of the Golden Gate Bridge. There's a little marina there, Horseshoe Bay, um, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, so that's uh, th that's what you want to do. If you just if you just go with the flow, you just get in the center of the stream, uh, and either you end up in the Pacific, or if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you get at that slack tide point, the inversion point, and then you get pushed back into the bay and then it really depends where in the stream you are at that point if you're a little bit to the north then you end up in the north bay if you're a little bit mm. to the south you end up close to san francisco if you're straight in the middle you just get pushed back to alcatraz right yep and and so it's kind of like a chaotic system where a little deviation in where you are at that point determines has a very large uh, influence on where you end up and you made it. Not spoiling. Well, I'm spoiling the the the, the outcome of the uh, <laughs> uh, documentary. We got pulled out by the rescue diver within like twenty meters of uh, of the coast because we I mean there's there's a safe harbor entry that we aimed for, and then there's all the the rocks that they use as a base for the for the Golden Gate, mm -hmm. and we we just overshot the safe harbor entry. Right. Okay. And 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 then and then all the safety and and security guy and, and insurance people were like, yes. oh, whoa, 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 whoa. we were like, no, we can make it there. It and they counts. were like, yes, but you'll you but you'll die. <laughs> um, I think if you're if you're an inmate fighting for your life, you would just go for these rocks and yes, climb out. Go. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they were like, no, 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 we're pulling you out now. We don't want to drag you off these rocks and into a hospital. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's cool because it's exactly what your model said to do as well. Yes. The, the, the fact that these models are so accurate helps with a few things. It gives you confidence in the kind of predictions you make. Um, but I think it's also, it's also very important that you see that there is, for example, the um, where would something end up if it just floats? You have mm -hmm. that inversion point. The, the slight disturbance in where you are greatly influences do I get all the way in, in the South Bay or do I get all the way up in the North Bay? Um, and even if your model is perfect, it's just a chaotic, inherent chaotic system. Yep. And you never know where your start position perfectly is. Um, so this also gives us confidence in, in our limit to predictions and how we can and how we need to deal and communicate with that um but yeah the, the fact that that it, it fitted so well was really good and it, it's it's quite amazing that the model suggested and then you repeated it by matching the, the title conditions on the day that there was just this half an hour window i think that they could have left in and that seems to match up when they might have actually left in 1962 as well so there's yeah. a chance the, the window Yes, the window, the window where they could have left in '62, 
is um, a lot. No, not a lot. It's somewhat wider. I, okay. It's been a while, but top of my head, somewhere between 8 p.m. or 10, somewhere between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. Okay. Given when things like lights out and the amount of time it takes to get there. And, and if they just hit it at 11.30-ish, uh, that would be, have been ideal because then the, the, the tide would still be going out. They would have been sucked towards the Golden Gate so they didn't have to swim all that distance. And then at the Golden Gate, they would have that inversion that would have pushed them back towards the shore. That's amazing. So, oh, yeah, but it's a lot of ifs and buts, and we've never seen them again. Yes, I know, but it adds to the myth, doesn't it? I know. No, sipping sip sip margaritas in Mexico. <laughs> That's right. And didn't they find a, an ore on Angel Island or, or something like that? Yeah. And, and the model even shows that, you know, the driftwood. And you're talking yeah, too, I think. Yeah, if you, if, you just, if you just, like, just drift, then there's a fair chance that stuff ends up at Angel Island. It's one of the beaching locations for stuff that you would throw in an Alcatraz at that time. I went searching for the documentary and every link that I found that had it was blocked in Australia. So I don't know if it's still up or yes, I'm just it, looking in the wrong spot. Uh, you're just not American enough. Oh, okay. Well, it's, I can't really do much about I, that. I think, I, um, I think you can actually get a physical copy uh, okay. from, from Amazon or something. It's publicly available for people inside the US because NPR has this like region blocking mm -hmm. uh, thing. And that is because the rights have been sold to Discovery for Europe. I don't know what, what region Australia counts as for, for this purpose, but it's uh, so here in Europe, it's Discovery, um, which doesn't do a on-demand service for these kind of uh, right, okay, documentaries. Okay. They just air it once in a while. Which is weirdly annoying in the sense that you suddenly get texts like, hey, you're on TV. Like, what? <laughs> I didn't know they would re-air this. I hope you get some royalties every time they, if they put it back on air. No. <laughs> well, as an academic, I, I have no complaints about my income. And and this has this this whole documentary, you know, the whole research behind this documentary is done on public funding. Yep, I don't. Sure. I don't need royalties for that. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Plus, it's fun. Oh yes. No, these are these are the, the like the cherries in in the on the cake for for the type of work we get to do. Yeah. In the rest of my when we're done, um, rest of my day is answering emails, writing proposals, maybe write a paper. Yeah. Maybe doing a little bit of research myself. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, so escaping from prison is not on my day-to-day -day <laughs> list of things to do. And plus, you got to recreate the whole MythBusters thing, which is which is amazing. Yes, it was am amazing. If you're a betting man. Did they make it then, or uh, or no? What are we saying? As a as a like from the water and purely engineering point of view, I'd be like yes. So you think the craft might have held together from your experiences? Because that always yes. seemed a little interesting the to me. The craft might have the craft might have held. 
the the plan was good, the execution was good. However, if I look at it using input from colleagues in the social sciences and psychology, I would find it very unlikely that these three people stay off the radar while being alive for as long as they had. Yes, yes. And that's the main argument why I why I'm I'm afraid they might not have made it. But it's that's just uh, using uh, social sciences as an argument and psychology as an argument, not the engineering. The engineering points to they could have made it. Yeah, I get the feeling that all the all the data we're ever going to collect has been collected now. It's it's some time ago. They'd be old if we do happen to find them. It's unlikely we're going to discover a body so yeah think, no uh, wow bones 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 tend to last a long time underwater i, I guess but I mean, yes yeah, finding random random human remains off the coast of uh of san francisco honestly more likely mob and crime related oh, there's, there's probably a few out there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or just fishermen falling off deck etc yeah yeah and, and and tracing that back, it's not like we had DNA or dental records or whatever back then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So finally, yeah. But maybe maybe someone comes up with a forensic technique, technology that we just haven't thought of yet that would shed light on it. Um, whether that would be a useful time, <laughs> a useful spendage of uh, uh, academic time is another question. No, it's a, yes, it's <laughs> there might there might not be much more for us to learn in this in this situation, but it's fascinating. It really captures the imagination, and I love that it's that you know it's a it's a really interesting vessel for your for your science as well to to sort of communicate the sort of work you're doing and and yeah, matching reality. Yes, and I and think then... that, I think I think that is a very important lesson. Um, so the. And so both towards the public, but also towards uh, internally us as, as academic institutes, the, the science we do, especially related to water engineering, climate change, has, has huge impacts on, on policy and, and on uh, people's lives in the, in the long run. But the day-to-day -day science we do is just not that catchy and interesting to communicate about, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. You should do it to the right people, policymakers, stakeholders, uh, um, other scientists. Um, and that's very, very important. But every now and then, when an opportunity comes along that has this mass media appeal, you should jump on it. And you, you should acknowledge that you're doing it because it's fun and it's a side thing and it's not your core business. But it's still a very great, vessel to to communicate your science your science to a broader audience than you would otherwise get the opportunity to mm -hmm. i'm interested if you remember what the original study showed was san francisco going to go on going to go underwater with a with a small amount of uh ocean uh, increase uh there's a um i should look up the original study because i'm doing this top of my head so yeah, if i yeah. make slide don't don't quote me on this the city of San Francisco itself would be mostly okay because the, the difference in height between the, just the water level and the, the city level is okay-ish. Um, even at high tide, there's, there's still a somewhat room. But further upstream in, uh, in the bay, and especially if you take that wave 
as it travels up the Sacramento River, like the delta after Sacramento, mm -hmm. um, there's a few areas that very much mimic Dutch polder systems, okay. where um, where basically there's an embankment or a dike system, and then the land behind that is at or just below water level. And you actively need to pump control the water level to make sure it is. And so those systems are under threat for um, increased climate change because of a few reasons. One of them uh, is what we have here as well, is even if we make sure, which is going to be hard given climate change, I'm, I'm not optimistic about this, but even if we maintain our coastal defenses and our riverine defenses against like a meter of sea level rise, our land sits at, well, the deepest part sits at minus five, minus six, and we constantly pump out water. The water that comes, the water that we need to pump out, it's somewhat of that is rainfall, but most of that is actually groundwater up that comes up. Because basically you have communicating vessels, like there's the ocean over there, you have all this uh, soil, sea, clay, sand part, and the water just pressures through that. So there's a negative groundwater pressure if you're below sea level. So it just wants to go up instead of wants to go down. And we need to pump that out and get that back in. If that, if that pressure gradient gets higher, we get more of that. And we have to do a lot of engineering and tricks to make sure that the water that we're getting here comes from mainly land areas and not the sea because then it becomes salty. Then it becomes salty, yeah. So, 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 and that's a whole area of uh, research and engineering that happens outside the view of, uh, of a lot of people, but it's a very big impact of climate change for low-lying areas. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge for um, the Netherlands. Yes. Um, and, and we're, uh, we're working on it, like, both adaptation mitigation, so so one fix climate change, uh, try to minimize the impact, and two uh, engineer the hell out of it to make sure that whatever impact we're getting, we're surviving. Yep, yep. And you can see the uh, it can I can see how your modeling can influence that too. I mean the the sort of the tidal movement. Uh, what's it called? The the Gulf the Gulf Stream up in up in Europe is a very big influence of Europe European weather, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you look at the the tidal wave that basically on the North Sea just just moves up um, the Rhine and other rivers in our delta, if we get like an increased level of that with climate change, you basically have a salt wedge because the salty water is heavier than the uh, Fresh water, so it sits lower in the river, but it just moves upstream and then moves down again, and moves up again. Mm -hmm. If that with climate change, that would move further upstream, including to a few points where we now have the inlet of drinking water companies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And drinking water companies take river water and then take a whole lot of effort to purify that because otherwise we'd be drinking basically filtered German piss. <laughs> but um, well, okay. we we have that on we have that under control, but those installations are not meant to deal with salt seawater, or at least increase in salinity. It doesn't feel like it'd be good for farmland either. Or is that a bit further away no. from from that? No, it's not good for farmland either, for sure.
No, so so it has a whole range of uh, of impacts that we need to deal with somehow, or I need to make sure it doesn't happen. Um, although although sometimes if reading the news, it feels like we're we're beyond that point. There's still a whole lot we can do to to make sure it doesn't get as bad as it could become. But yeah, these models that we make help us predict what these impacts are going to be, uh, what the effect is going to be of measures uh, that we take. And, and only occasionally does it help us predict where historic inmates might have ended up. <laughs> so no, uh, so no prison wardens have got in contact to uh, for planning the next <laughs> island <laughs> prison. <laughs> no, I think I think we've moved away from building prisons. I mean, from a cinematic point of view, it was the best thing they could have ever done. <laughs> yes, Having right. a prison on an island just off a major city. Uh, but uh, I think we've moved away from that as it's not. Yeah, I feel like that's a good thing. Logistically. <laughs> yeah. yeah so <laughs> it's not really good in any way. <laughs> Thank you very much to Dr. Rolf Hutt for such a fascinating tour of the modelling of the famous 1962 escape from Alcatraz. I guess we best leave it to you to form your own conclusions about whether they escaped and are still alive today. If you'd like any more information to help you on your own journey towards understanding this problem, then get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And up there I have links to all of Rolf's research. And if you're outside of Australia, you might be able to watch his video. Thanks heaps for listening. My name's Mark West and I'll catch you next time on The Pod.